So I find myself sometimes when I'm going to prayer, even now, still trying to discipline myself to simply just be in his presence and walk with him and talk with him and listen to him. Much of prayer is listening to him and not just talking. In fact, sometimes I'll just get in his presence and just, just begin to meditate and try to quiet my mind so that I can hear what he's got to say. None of us like to be in conversations with people that do all the talking. Now, some of their faces just came to your mind just right now. They just talk, 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 talk. And you're 100 miles away. You're balancing your checkbook while, they're, while you're looking at them. You're, 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 doing, you're doing your laundry list right there while they're talking because I don't have any chance of getting in on this conversation. If the Lord feels that way about me sometimes. Are you are you done yet? <laughs> are you still talking? <laughs> I feel the presence of God here today. Hebrews chapter 5. I'll read out the King James today. Hebrews chapter 5. I'll start at verse 12 and then I'll continue on through. Chapter 6, verse 1. It's only a few few verses. If you have it, say amen. If you have it because you're looking on the board behind me, say amen. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Everybody say maturity. This doesn't mean without fault. This word here, perfection, means maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. In other words, those very basic things that we should understand, we shouldn't have to keep learning that over and over and over, we should be moving on towards spiritual understanding and greater understanding and application of the Word of God. And so today I preached to you part two of last week's sermon, The Bottle or the Battle? The Bottle or the Battle? Father, I pray that you help us today. God, to be, to be challenged, Lord, to receive your word, to receive what you have in store for us. Lord, so this body of Christ today can move on towards maturity to do the works that you have for us to do here in this county, in this city, in this state, in this world, Lord, that we will be able to do the things that you've called us to do because we will be 
uh, no more immature in our walk with you, but we will be walking in to greater areas and greater challenges and new levels and facing new devils. Help us today, Lord, to understand this. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody shout amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor. Let them know you're glad they're here today. And then you can be seated. I specifically had my daughter put a baby bottle on this slide because I was concerned that some of you would feel like if I said the bottle or the battle, you might be thinking of a different bottle. And that's perhaps a sermon for another time. But my point today is when we reflect on the passage that we opened up with last week, it was about when I was a child, I spake as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And, and he talked about how he, 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 he spake as a child, he thought as a child, he understood as a child. And so we talked about that last week, that that in our walk with God that we should have some understanding that's more mature than a child, that we should be thinking about things that are much more responsible than what we think about as a child. And the things that we talk about should be much more mature in our understanding and our forgiveness and our maturity in the Lord should be much more uh, advanced than when we're a child. And so it goes back to are we, are we still on the bottle or are we mature enough to get into the battle? I didn't ask for this war. I didn't want this battle. I didn't ask for the financial problems that our world and our nation is in right now. I didn't ask for the $37 trillion in debt that we're in right now. I didn't ask for a $1,400 stimulus a few years ago. I didn't ask for that check to be sent to me, the, the check that consequently my grandkids will be paying for. I didn't ask for the things that are going on right now and the involvement in the world. I didn't, I didn't, the, the people in Ukraine didn't ask for that. The people in the Middle East didn't ask for that. And, and all the conflicts that are going on right now, a lot of the individuals themselves didn't ask for that. That's conflict that somebody way above them started. But yet the people are dealing with the repercussions. We are dealing with money that was spent years ago for programs and things that I didn't ask for and I didn't need necessarily, and yet we will be paying the bill for it. There are things happening on our borders, north and south borders now, where people that are no longer just looking to find jobs. I will, I will challenge you to look at the news the next time you see the news and see how many look like they're coming over with strollers and and, and bare feet and worn out clothes and tattered clothing. And tell me how many you see like that. And tell me how many you see coming over in Adidas and Nike and nice backpacks, backpacks and nice clean haircuts. Fighting age men coming over in very nice clothes. Ask yourself this question. How far did they walk through the desert to show up in that kind of outfit? I'm saying there's a war going on. I'm saying that there's things happening on our borders and in our nation that, that there's going to be conflict that more than likely that will happen from within. Ten million people 
um, in the last several months have come, 10 million that we know about have come into our border unchecked. We may face some things that we didn't decide. I want us to recognize today that in our world, there is a very real natural world that we're in with economy, with politics, with education, with Hollywood, with all these things that, that are vying for our attention and trying to, trying to get us to think and trying to get us to buy certain products and trying to get us to do certain things. And there's a very real world going on. But make no mistake about it, simultaneously there's a very real spirit world going on that will only be fought in the spirit. You cannot, you cannot fight supernatural means by natural behaviors. And so we're in a fight for our lives. We're in a fight for our eternity. We're in a very spiritual war right now. And so in this passage, Paul is talking to the church at Hebrews, and, he's, uh, and, and so he's talking to them that, that, that you need to be prepared to, to think more maturely. You need to be more spiritual in your thinking. I wanted to come and talk to you. I wanted to come and prepare teachers. I wanted to see who could help us advance the kingdom, and yet I've come back to a congregation that is filled with people that are no different than you were, than you were several years ago, and you're still babes. I'm having to reteach baptism. I'm having to reteach repentance, and you should be at the point where you yourselves are now teaching this. And so he's talking to them and, and challenging them that they, that they move on towards perfection and they move on towards maturity. And so we have to have the understanding that there is a very real spiritual war going on right now. A number of years ago, I asked the Lord to begin to show me more things in the Spirit. And He said, if you will look at the natural, you will begin to get a glimpse of what is going on in the Spirit. And since then, I've been a little bit more interested in watching what's going on with political decisions, what's going on in Hollywood, what's going on in the music industry, what's going on in the educational system, what kind of cartoons are reaching out for your children. And all you have to do is begin to look at the natural, and you'll get an indication of the pressure of the Spirit that's coming through all those avenues to try to influence. And so we are in a war, a war that I didn't ask for, and a war that I don't want to be in. We're having conversations in our home about economy, about politics and things that I didn't ask for, but yet, here we are. Paul is saying in this passage to Hebrews that we have to understand that there is a spiritual maturity that we also have to understand. It would be insanity for me to prepare financially as well as I can, to prepare for some kind of disaster, however great or small you think might come to prepare for retirement, to prepare with health insurance, life insurance. It would be insanity to prepare for, for, your, for all these things in life, your 401K, your house and repairs and maintenance, and all the while be totally lax in the spirit world. Have total lack of understanding of things that are happening in the realm of the spirit and be unprepared 
for the assault and the attack that's coming in the spirit. Be unprepared that we would be, that we would be prepared in our homes that we would have locks on our doors and ring cameras and we would have things and a dog and 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 and, and lights and motion sensors. It would be a shame that we would have all these things in the natural and be asleep in the spirit. Be prepared for the the boogeyman that would come. My dad used to call it the boogeyman. Be prepared for bad things that would happen. But then have no understanding and no maturity that there is a very real devil, a very real enemy that's after you and your family. There is no ring camera that's going to help you with that one. There is no barking dog that's going to help you with that one. There might be a yelling preacher, but not a barking dog. And so this is a challenge today. Please excuse the passion if it seems like I'm yelling at you. I'm just very passionate about this because I know there's a very real enemy just as real as when you lock your doors, just as real as there's home invasions, just as real as there's burglars, just as real as people want to steal things from you. There is a very real enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy from you. And we have got to be prepared for this war, and I've got to get off the bottle. I can't be immature and fight this battle. I can't just lay around and just be a, live a life of comfort and realize that there's this very real supernatural war going on. If you have settled in your mind, I think there's a God. Or I am persuaded. I know there's a God. Wherever you are in that zone, understand this. You have to process that if you think or are pretty sure that there is a God, then you have to think and be pretty sure that there is a devil. Because if you think and you're pretty sure there's God, then you can think and be pretty sure that there's angels. And if you've already decided that's probably the case, or it's definitely the case anywhere in that zone, then you have to also conclude that then there was a third of them thrown out of heaven. The first one being Lucifer, the devil. You see, you cannot go, it would be immature, it would be childish to think that there's this God that's there and everything's good and I'm blessed all the time, no matter what my behavior, no matter what my response to sound doctrine, no matter what my response to the Bible, no matter how much I pray or don't pray, there's this this fairy tale God, this, this God that is real, but He blesses me no matter what I do, no matter who I am. You see, that would be childish to think that. It, it, would, it, would, be, it would be about as childish as, there's no children here, as believing in the tooth fairy. Just this fairy tale of this God that just only exists to bless me. Only exists that I can live any way I want, but when tragedy comes, we're going to call on him. Does anybody remember 9-11? Does anybody remember when they were taking prayer out of schools? They already did that when they were saying no prayers in school, no public prayers in schools. Don't even talk about prayer in schools or public buildings or, or, or government buildings. And when 9-11 happens, we have planes flying into buildings, and all of a sudden on the front of the marquees of your schools, pray for our country. Politicians on the steps of the Capitol singing what? 
God bless America. So in crisis, we, we go to God. That's childish thinking. That's what kids do. They don't show appreciation to their parents. They just want stuff. That, and that's okay with their children. We get that. We get that they're very selfish in nature. We also understand that a child isn't going to go into battle force. A child isn't going to meet the threat in the middle of the night when something goes bump in the middle of the night. We understand that they're not equipped for that. We understand they're not ready for that. We understand they're not mature enough to do that. But we do understand that dad should get up out of bed and go see what the noise is. We do understand that if there's a problem, that the adult of the house should, should take a look at that and see what's going on. That the adult of the house is the one that's checking the doors at night. The, the adult's the one making sure the porch light's on. The adult's making sure that the car doors are locked uh, before they go to bed. It's the adult, it's the mature one that is worried and concerned, not worried, but concerned about the security of their well-being. I'm here to tell the church today this, that we have to be spiritually alert and aware of what's going on around us. We have to know that there's a very real enemy that's out to destroy you and your family. So I didn't ask for this. But here we are. And I have to decide, am I going to prepare myself for the war that we're in? Am I willing to see the things that are going on? Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11, this, this 11 through 16 begins to explain the mature Christian responsibilities for the work of the kingdom. So he's going to talk here about, about what a mature Christian is and what they do. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some uh, pastors and teachers and so this is called the five-fold ministry. This is the five major areas of ministry. And my whole life I thought that, you know, this, these, are, these are the ones that are, that are getting the work done. These are the ones that are doing the ministry. Then I, then, I, then I find out differently. I get more mature and then I read this differently because my whole life I'm thinking I can just sit there in the seats and then, and then those, those individuals are the ones doing the work. They're the ones that are getting it done, and, and, and maybe one day uh, I'll be able to help with one of those areas. But he, here's the ones that are the, the moving the ministry, and then, and then you read this, and it says he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Well, guess what that does? That shifts a lot of responsibility. It doesn't mean I have any less responsibility. It just means as a, as a teacher and a pastor, I'm equipping and training you for the work of the ministry. Why do we three months a year have house to house? Because it's during that, 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 that quarter of the year, we're now training we're now tra training individuals to lead ministry you're you're taking some pastoral roles you're answering questions for people what is that doing that's that's us finding out who or who are the ones that are maturing if you're a cornerstone parent here today it's because we've we've deemed that you have grown into a level of maturity that we can trust 
six or eight or ten or twelve people into your care. And as I said last week, the, the biggest dilemma we have every time is, okay, who is now ready to be multiplied out? We don't like the word division in church, so we say multiply out. And so what, what our question is, is who have we seen that has grown up? Look at your neighbor and say, grow up. Who has matured enough that we can say, you know what? We can now multiply this family, and now we... That's, that's cut in half, and now we can add some more new people, some new babies, some new people that don't know some, that don't know what I just talked about, that there's a very real spirit man inside of me and a very real flesh man inside of me, and, and this one's easy. This one's, i got to feed it, i got to dress it, i got to brush its teeth, i got to do all this stuff, and I do all this stuff, but there's a very real spirit man that has needs also. It's much easier to neglect the spirit man's needs than the flesh man. And we decide that every morning before we leave to go to work. Do, we, do you dress appropriately? Do you take care of yourself? Do you shower and clean yourself? Do you feed yourself? Do you get your coffee on the way to work? Yes, 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 and yes. But did you pray? Did you read your Bible? If you woke up late, which one's going to get sacrificed? Probably the prayer time. You would probably rather make sure that your teeth are brushed and your hair is combed and all that and then leave the house with your spirit still empty than to do the opposite. That's how we are because our face, our flesh is always right here. You don't have to go very long to figure out that you're dealing with your flesh. But it's that spirit, man, that we have to be so intentional about. And so this five-fold ministry is really put into place to train you to do the work of the ministry. Does it mean that pastors and preachers, evangelists, apostles, does it mean that they don't do any work? No, 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 they're doing work too. But it means part of their work is to train and equip and help us to grow and to mature for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Who have you helped recently? I'm not asking for answers. I'm asking you to ask yourself. Who do you feel like is dependent on you? You see, when I was a child, nobody was dependent on me. Some of you, I was the, just me and my brother, I was the, the baby of the two. The youngest is always the baby. And so... Some of you may have become more responsible as you got older because you had a younger sibling. And so you had to learn responsibility as a, as a child. But, but, but you, weren't, you weren't a mother. You weren't a father. You didn't have that kind of responsibility until you became mature. And so in that, we have to understand that in our walk with God that there are times that we are receiving a lot. We're new in our walk. We're new in our journey. This is all fresh. This is all new. I don't know anything. But there should come a point where you start to get mature enough where somebody else now, as somebody gave to your life, as somebody gave into you, as somebody helped you to grow and mature, you're not at a point where it would, it's been nice to receive. It's been nice to be waited on. It's been nice to be fed and have somebody do your laundry and make your bed for you. But at some point, you got to grow up. 
At some point now, you got to help somebody else. If you're still living in mama's basement and you're 35, 40 years old and still eating Hot Pockets and watching Real Wheel of Fortune, then you need to grow up. You need to get a job. You need to support somebody else. You need to be there for somebody else. You need to not be so entitled. That's a tough one in our world right now. Entitlement. But you got to grow up. And so in church, I have to say, look, it's now time that I'm mature enough. I don't always like having to be mature. But again, here we are. But all of a sudden, my desire to see somebody else be saved demands that I grow up. We say grow up. They did a survey recently, and they asked, I believe it was men under 26 years of age, if our country got invaded right now, would you fight? I believe the number was 80% said no. Not go to war, our country's invaded, would you fight? I think the number was 80% said no. They asked guys over 60. Now, these are guys that their fighting days are kind of limited. But they asked those old guys. I'm only a couple years away, so I can say that. They asked the old guys, if our country was invaded, would you fight? It was about 80% said, absolutely, I'd fight. What's the problem? The problem is we've created an entitled generation that as long as they have their iPhone, a laptop, and a Starbucks cup, that's all I need. You can invade me if you want, as long as I get my laptop and my, and my iPhone. And so we've created such an, an entitlement mentality. They've been given so much that they don't know how to struggle or fight for anything. I'm here to tell the church we can't, we can't, that, that'll never make it in the church. If we don't understand our place in battle, if we don't understand our place in prayer, if we don't understand our place in sound doctrine to live according to Scripture and to know the power of that, then we are going to be in trouble. Edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Again, this isn't like spotless. This is mature. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see the kind of the pattern that's happening here with this maturity. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. Moody. Not knowing what you believe, guided and led by your emotions, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about in every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up, shout grow up, and to him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by the which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. 
As I grow up, I help somebody else to grow up. As I mature, I help somebody else to mature. As I grow up, then others are helped. We're working on a process right now by which I should always have two or three people above me that are helping me to grow, helping me to be better. I need to be reaching up and being challenged by about three people. But simultaneously, I need to be reaching down for about three people. While I'm being challenged, while I feel like the dummy in the room, while I feel like I'm not the smartest guy in the room, I feel silly to be around these men. These are men that are giants. These are men that I, I, I look up to and admire. And at the same time, while I'm being challenged by reaching up to these great men of God and, 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 and just sitting in a room listening, because I don't even want to open my mouth because these guys are so wise and these guys are so far ahead of me. I just want to grow. I just want to learn. I just want to hear what they have to say. I'm simultaneously growing, but at the same time, I've got to be reaching down to somebody else that I'm helping them and saying, I'm not just going to receive. I'm not just going to get. I'm just not going to be entitled, but I'm going to reach down and I'm going to help somebody else. Why? Because somebody's reaching down and helping me. And so if simultaneously I'm growing, I'm bringing somebody with me. And if they do the same and they do the same, we can reach our world. But if week after week I'm coming to these same people or I'm getting fed and I don't apply what I'm getting and I don't struggle and try to apply it, I'm like a child. How many times do we say a child? How many times do I have to tell you? Well, we say it to adults too, don't we, Gene? Gene's our clinical counselor. How many doctors are giving prescriptions that the giving orders to help somebody be healthy that they don't take? It's childish. If you're mature, you do hard things. You understand consequences. You also understand not just the negative part, but you also understand investment. You also understand that right things get good consequences too. It is called the law of the harvest. I was told plenty of times in my life, what you sow you're going to reap, and it was never positive. My, I, I never came home with a good grade, and my mom or dad said, you're going to sow what you're going to reap, or you're going to reap what you sow. It was always in a negative connotation. So I, can I just tell you, that is called the law of the harvest. So I know you probably heard it like me, mostly in a negative context. Well, yeah, you go do something stupid, you're going you know, to sow what you're going to reap, or you're going to reap what you're going to sow. You, you've been told that. But I want to tell you that if you do some positive things, guess what? You're going to reap what you've sown. If you, if, you, if you sow into the Word of God, you're going to get some good things. If you respond to the Word of God, you're going to get some good responses. If you, if you sow in the Spirit, you're going to reap in the Spirit. Verse 17 through 24 describes now, we just described what a mature Christian looks like. 17 through 24 is going to describe what a child or an immature Christian behaves like. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to just kind of jump through. Uh, uh, but... Uh, 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 18, having the under, uh, vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, alienated from life of God through ignorance. 
giving themselves over to lasciviousness. That means just lust. You just, you just give yourself over to it, and, and you're just a slave to it. Working all uncleanness with greediness. Conversation of the old man. We talked last week about that, that uh, when I was a child, I spake. As a child, our conversations were childish. Our conversations were selfish. Our conversations were about me. Our conversations were just uh, about the things I want and the things I desire. And it's all about me, 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 and want, want, want. And a, and, a, and a child, you don't think of the future. You don't think of plans. You don't think of looking ahead. The conversation of the old man, deceitful lusts. All these things are works of the flesh. All these things are things that are, are in our are very easy for us to think about because we're natural. This is our natural thinking. This is not when we begin to make decisions based on the Spirit. Verse 25 through 32 describes what an adult or a mature Christian does. And it talks about putting away lying, speaking every man the truth to his neighbor. We're members one of another, understanding you don't sin alone. I heard what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. They lied. You betray your spouse in Vegas, it ain't staying in Vegas. You blow your income in Vegas, it's going to leave a mark on your family. What you fail to realize is, is somebody may not find out but there's a spirit world. And so what happened there, I'm using that as a metaphor. I'm saying wh wherever you are, whatever sin you commit, I'm not hurting anybody else. Uh, you are. Be because you're a member of a body. And, uh, and if one part of my body hurts itself, I hurt. And the rest of this body jumps in to heal and to help this body part because instinctively we know we're not going to look at that hand and say, well, that was stupid. Um, well, I never needed you anyway. Uh, you're taking that hand to the doctor. You're getting stitches. You're getting a bone set. You're getting something to happen because this is me. I don't look at that hand and say, you dummy. Uh, that, that is a part of me, so when you do some damage to yourself, it hurts the body. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sin, sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Everybody say, don't give place to the devil. Don't give him credit or power. The devil made me do it. He didn't make you do anything. He can't. You might have allowed him to influence. She told me years ago, I came home told her something about somebody made me mad. She said, no, they didn't. I was like, how do you know you weren't there? She said, they didn't make you mad. I said, yeah, they did. She said, no, you, you chose to get mad. So now you're making me mad.
And then here's what she said, and it made it worse. She said, you shouldn't give them that much power. The woman that thou gavest me. No matter her and God. What she was saying is, you choose. Ah, this takes maturity to get this, though. You choose to get mad. Now, if you want to give yourself three minutes, then get it all out and then choose not to be mad. Whatever you want to do, but you choose it. They can't make you get mad. They should not have that much power. The devil can't make you do anything. Now, he can influence you. He can tempt you. He can do all kinds of stuff. He's got some power, but you can refuse to give him that much power out of you. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. But first you got to read the scripture before it. It says this, submit yourself therefore unto God. Because now I'm his, I belong to him, I'm submitted to him, I'm in relationship, I'm in covenant with him. I submit myself therefore unto God. Then when I resist the devil, it's like at that point when I tell the devil to go, it's like Jesus comes out to the front door and says, okay, what's going on here? But you see, if I'm not first submitted to him, if I'm not in covenant with him, if I think I can resist the devil just on my power, I'm thinking as a child. But when I submit myself to God and his word and I'm, I'm in covenant with him, now when I say I'm not tolerating this, Jesus is right behind me saying, is there a problem here? And so we have to understand this, that I can't give credit or power. I cannot build a room in my mind to let him live in. And when you hang on to bitterness and when you hang on to things and when you have habits and you have things and, and, and there are certain things that you refuse to let go of, you have built a nice cabin in your brain for the devil to live in. You are giving place to the devil and you wonder why you're tempted. We're all tempted. He's going to be coming against all of us in some different ways. Why in the world would I want to build him a cabin in my head? Why would I want to give him a space of being fearful of him all the time? When's he going to come back again? When's he going to, when's he, I don't even give place to him. If he shows up, I deal with him when he shows up and I recognize it's him and I say, get out of here. And I go do my thing and I continue to submit myself to God. I'm not giving a place for him. And if you have something you're not willing to let go of, you're building a place for him. It's a, it's a man, and some of you haven't heard this analogy yet, but some of you have been with me a long time have heard this. It would be like me building a house for you. And I build this house, and, 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 and I give you this free house, and, 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 but, I, but here's what I say. I say, I'm going to give you this free house. All I ask is, is that can I put this, can I, can I have ownership of this one nail? And you say, sure. I get this whole house. All you want's a nail? Yeah, that's all I want. I want possession of this nail. Build this beautiful house. You're enjoying your house. I come in one day, knock on my door. I said, I'm here with my nail. And you say, well, go ahead. And I go in and I drive that nail right in a wall in, in, in whatever room of my choice, and I drive that nail. Irritates you a little bit, but it's just a nail. I still have the whole house. Got 2,500 square feet of house in Central Air, and I got a nice place and a nice backyard. The whole place is real nice. The problem is when I come back, though, and knock on the door again, and I take some roadkill, and I hang it on my nail. 
Hey, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? I'm just putting something on my nail. Well, I only gave you that nail. Yeah, that's, that's my nail, and I'm putting something on that nail. Because you said that that's my place. Well, without getting into all the gory details, <clears throat> it's going to be a matter of time before the bugs, the maggots, the smell, the stink, everything else that's happening is going to run you out of that house. If you give the devil one little nail, I just can't let go of this. I just can't forgive this person. That's all he needs. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing really good, but I have this one habit. Just to, that's all he needs. That's one nail. You are giving place to the devil. There's a spare room for him to stay in whenever he wants to stay. We call it a stronghold. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How do we do it? Casting down imaginations. It is a head game. Your brain is the beachfront of satanic assault. He's always going to be attacking you in your brain. So how do we defeat it? you got to cast down your imaginations. That's your thought patterns. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having a readiness to revenge all disobedience. When? When your obedience is fulfilled. So it's not just knowing the scripture, it's being mature enough to obey it. So don't give a place to the devil, don't get power, don't let him intimidate you, don't, don't, don't give him that. You've got to know as an adult, you've got to know your place in the spirit. As a child, if I'd have heard something go bump in the middle of the night, I would have been afraid, I would have been scared, I don't know what to do. But as an adult, I've, I've prepared. As an adult, I think through my process of how I'm not losing a fight in my house. Nobody's gaining access to my house that's not invited, and I know why, and I know how. Because I have been mature enough to consider that. I'm not giving him access. People allow themselves to be torn down by unhealthy, toxic relationships. You see them in a relationship and they're unhealthy themselves. Why? Because they keep letting this voice in their life. They keep hanging around a certain person or, or a certain situation that continues to, to de just tear them down and degrade them. And it's a toxic relationship. Anybody know anybody like that? Well, when you continue to hang out with the devil and his stuff, whether it's his Hollywood, whether it's music, whether it's friendships, whether it's going to certain establishments, there's so many things that will continue to chip away and eat away at you. And so you give place to the devil and wonder why you struggle with certain things in your mind or in your body because those things are continuing to trip away, uh, chip away at you because you are in a toxic relationship with the enemy. Romans 12.1 talks about presenting your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And being not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That passage in 2 Corinthians goes on, and I'll go quickly. Let them that stole steal no more. That's a mature thing. You've got to stop doing those behaviors. Let them labor working with his hands. He that have to give him uh, is needed. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. 
uh, 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. These are not things that God's going to take away from you. These are things you put away. A mature person understands that God's not going to deliver you from everything. There will be some things he will deliver you from. But much of the Christian walk is us deciding what things to put away and what things to put on. What things to do, what things to not do. Choices. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Mature believers understand that if you can't receive correction, you can't handle promotion. Mature disciples run to the battle. They pray with passion. They understand the value of prayer. They understand that we do wrestle and fight in the Spirit. I don't know why this is going on in my family. Some things you have to address in the spirit. There, were, there was a time in my life that, that our, our family was sick and sick, and everybody keep passing around the same snotty nose, just over and over, just kept passing around, seemed like this cold, flu-type stuff. This was several years ago when we still lived in Columbus. One night I got so angry, I was like, I got, I've had enough of this. I got out of the covers, went downstairs, and just started praying. Why? Because I just had a suspicion that this was not just a cold. I had just this feeling this was a spirit of infirmity. This was an attack to keep us wore down, to keep everybody always having to stay home from church one time or another. Does, does anybody ever have something that just seems to like to happen on Saturday night or Sunday morning? That's when you start to get a clue as a mature Christian. Hmm, that's interesting. This only happens on Saturday night right before church. This only happens on Sunday morning. I can be good every other day of the week. There was a time a while back, uh, several years ago, where I would have these stomach issues every Sunday morning. I wasn't nervous about coming to church. I wasn't nervous about preaching. This is what I do. But every Sunday morning, there was this, these, these stomach issues that were bothering me. Several times I had to stay home. And then I started saying, you know what? <clears throat> I don't have it any other day of the week. And so I had to attack that, not with Pepto-Bismol, but I had to attack it in prayer. I had to say, oh, I see what's going on here. I recognize as a mature Christian, this happens only on Sunday mornings. I see what's going on here and begin to attack it in prayer. And I left the, the house still not feeling well, but guess what happened the first time or two I did that? I haven't been bothered since. Why? Because I had to address it in the spirit. And then I had to take action. I couldn't just say, okay, well, I still don't feel real good. No, I had to say, you know what? I believe this is a spiritual attack. I'm attacking in the spirit, and then I'm going to take motion that will control my emotion. We have to understand our motion dictates our emotions. And so I went into motion still came to church, and I exercised my faith. There's a real war in the spirit that you will choose either the bottle or the battle. And so you have a choice. You don't get to choose whether there will be a war or not. That's already been decided. There is a war, and you're in it. You only get to choose flight or fight. You get to choose comfort or combat. You get to choose play or pray. You get to choose natural or supernatural. That's your choices. You don't get to choose whether I'm going to participate or not. If you don't participate, then the end is already established for you. Ephesians 6, 10 says this, Finally, my brethren, being strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, against the tricks. That means it's not going to be obvious. 
The enemy never is. That's why they wear camo. That's why there's stealth fighters and stealth bombers. They come in under the cover of night. They come in hidden. They come in disguise. Many times warriors don't even wear military clothing. And so the enemy is going to come in when you're not suspecting it. He's not going to look how you think he's going to look. For we wrestle not. And some people stop right there and say, well, we don't have to fight. No, no. He's saying we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He's not saying we don't wrestle at all. But against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and and having done all to stand. Verse 18 says, praying always. Everybody say, pray always. With all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching therefore to all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. As the, musician, as the musicians begin to come, the church can't forget how to fight. We, we understand peace. We understand getting along with our neighbors. We understand if it be peaceful to live, if it be possible, live peaceable among all, all men. We, we understand that he's the prince of peace. We understand all this. We understand that, that he was a spotless lamb given on the cross for sacrifice for our sins, right? But he's also the Lion of Judah. And we can't forget our fight. We can't forget how to fight. He saved Israel from a lot of stuff and wanted them to be in peace, but he also led them into battle, and they had to know how to fight. And so the church has to get her fight back. The church has to realize it's not about coming to church and, 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 and singing a couple good songs and just feeling the presence of the Lord and going home feeling like, well, that was edifying today. That can be the case at times, and sometimes we need that, right? Sometimes I just need to get fed. I'm going through the fight of my life. I just need to be fed. But there's also got to be times where we come to church ready to do battle. We come to church saying, I'm going to help somebody today. You know what? I'm not in the battle today. I'm going to be the one in the war, in the battle, because somebody else is hurting today. Somebody else is immature. Somebody else is a baby in Christ. I'm going to come and fight for their safety. Can't forget how to fight. You had to fight resistance when you came to God. That wasn't an easy journey. You were leaving the devil's camp. He wasn't going to let that happen easily. You had all kinds of problems trying to keep you from coming to church, trying to keep you away from the brothers and sisters in Christ. You you met with resistance when you started coming to Christ. We can't think that now that we're seasoned saints that, that, that all of a sudden that there's no more battles. We have to fight for our time of prayer. You'll fight that more than any other thing in your Christian disciplines. You'll, you'll, you'll finally, he'll finally figure out you're going to make it to church every Sunday. He'll leave that one alone because as long as you're unaffected, go ahead, go to church. Just don't impact somebody else's life. Just don't win any souls. Just sit there and keep yourself saved. I don't mind losing you to Jesus. I don't mind losing you out of my kingdom. Just don't take anybody with you. Just don't be effective. Just don't come after my powers in the spirit. Just don't become a prayer warrior. Just don't become a soul winner. Just don't do anything for the kingdom. We fight to read our Bible. We fight temptation. We still have to know how to fight. As we all stand today, 2 Timothy 4.7 says this. The Apostle Paul. 
I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. We are in a day where cultural Christians have lost their will to fight. They have accepted their place in a powerless existence, void of any conviction, burden, or spiritual authority. Many Christians lack the ability to take dominion over spiritual oppression that bullies them and keeps them weak. came across a passage yesterday in 1 Samuel 30. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites, their enemy, had invaded the south and Ziklag and the smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives and where therein and they slew not any, neither great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. You see, the enemy came in because the warriors were not present. can be home but not there you you can be at church but not present you can be a Christian but really not doing your assignments my prayer is that this wouldn't be a message that you would just say well that was that was a really cool title pastor that was cool. That was a that was a great message. My prayer is that somebody would leave, saying, "There's a real fight, and I got to get in it." This is a moment where I've got to engage because somebody's life is truly depending on you. There's a Bible that Bible study that needs to be taught that needs to be taught by you. There should not be a lot of people unless they're a brand new baby, and then that new brand new baby is going to hear me say, "Well, I'll come with you and teach this Bible study." There should not be people that have been serving God decades that would come to me and say, "Hey, Pastor, my neighbor wants a home Bible study. Can you talk to them about the Lord?" If so, you're still on. Pastor, I got this situation. Can you pray about this? Now, I don't mind praying with people, but but seasoned people of God ought to know how to intercede. You ought to know how to travail. Seasoned people of God ought to know how to attack that in prayer and not be so dependent on somebody else's prayer. Don't go to don't find the prayer warrior in the church that you know about and say, I'll have them pray about it because I don't really know how. I've been serving God 20 years, but I know who the prayer warriors are in the church, so I'll go to them. Oh, that we would all be prayer warriors, that we would all know how to go to battle. Oh, that we would all know how to pray and be able to call fire down and be able to know how to defeat the devil. That we would all know how to cast out a devil or lay hands on somebody and have them be healed. 
That's God's plan. That's what He's. That's what He designed us to do. We see here in, in, later on down in that verse, in verse 8, And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I go after my family? Shall I go after my kids? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, the Lord answered him and said, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So I'm just here to tell you today, it's not too late to pursue. It's not too late to find your place of prayer. It's not too late to teach a Bible study. I'm opening up this altar right now for us to come and